just a few verses in chapter 5 in a few minutes. But before we read the scripture for today, I want to give us a bit of context for what is happening here. We've all been pretty immersed in the story of Jesus' death and resurrection these last few weeks. That we need to jump ahead in the narrative a little ways to understand what's going on here. After Jesus went into heaven and the Holy Spirit came on the church, things started happening and moving forward almost exponentially. Peter and John have emerged as key leaders They preached some pointed sermons and had miraculous moments of healing. The believers have been unified in sharing of possessions and study and prayer and worship. They're wondering what's going on. They're wondering what to do next. They're wondering how it is that they're going to move forward, what's going to happen. And the Holy Spirit is on them and their numbers are growing. In short, the young movement that Jesus started is taking shape daily. But whenever there is key growth happening in the church, there is almost always opposition. For certain, there is spiritual battle. This was especially true, we know, for the early believers who faced the same hostile resistance that Jesus did. And at some point, they're all going to experience the same fate that he did. For now, they are intent on allowing God's spirit to permeate their lives and their ministry. In the chapter that we read today earlier, Luke records that the high priest and the leaders were jealous of the apostles' success, and they had them thrown in jail. During the night, while being heavily guarded, an angel of God came to free them. And the angel says this to the apostles, go, stand in the temple courts, And tell the people the full message of new life. So they leave the jail and at daybreak, they do that. A little bit later in the morning, the leaders in full assembly come to have a council, to have the apostles brought before them so they could interrogate them again. But when they got to the jail, the officers, of course, found it empty. So going back to the captain of the guard and the chief priest, they reported, this strange thing has happened. The jail is empty. There's a securely locked door. The sentries are saying that nothing happened while they were standing guard. There's puzzlement. There's wondering what to do. And kind of a classic movie moment while they're waiting where the prisoners could, wondering where the prisoners could be. Someone said, hey, look, the guys that you had in jail are right there. They're standing in the temple courts. And they're teaching. I love that. I wish I could have been there to see that. Sometimes I hope that in heaven they're going to have these movies so that we can watch these things and kind of experience how they were. Anyway, that's nothing to do with today. Okay, so um, probably quickly the Jewish leaders had the apostles come to them. And And Luke tells us they didn't use force because they didn't want the people to riot. This is where we pick up the text right now. Acts 5, 27 through 32. When they had brought them, they had them stand before the council. The high priest questioned them, saying, We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name. Yet, here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you are determined to bring this man's blood on us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God. Rather than any human authority, the God of our ancestors raised up Jesus, 
whom you had killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior, that he might give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. Let's pray. God, you are good. And you orchestrate things in astounding ways. So this morning, Lord, we pray that your spirit would fall on us in fresh ways. That you would give us understanding. And that you would help us, Lord, to um, take another step in our relationship with you. Thank you so much for Jesus. We pray this in his name. As we prepare to take communion, I want us to think for a few moments about a main passage, a main theme in this passage, obedience. When we become a Christian, we put our faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins. We are acquitted of our wrongdoing because of his sacrifice, and we are raised to new life. In addition, part of the transaction, we agree to submit to his lordship. For our lives, believing that he is all-knowing and gracious to those whom he loves. Part of having no other gods before him is that we give our loyalty to him only, seeking him first in all things. And a huge part of our obedience is to love the Lord with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And to ask him to help us to love our neighbor. Jesus said if we adhere to those two things and we are committed to truly loving God and others, everything else will fall into place. But sometimes we wonder what does obedience look like? We get a few clues here in this short passage. And I know that the context is far from where we live today, but there are a few takeaways, I think, for us today. First, obeying God means that we act in ways that please him first. When Jesus left, he told his disciples, make disciples of all nations. You have followed me. Go and tell others about me so that they too might follow me. This is the call of the church. When the apostles were freed from prison, they were told by the angel, go and proclaim the message of new life to the temple courts. Sometimes what we desire can be not really align with what God wants and we have to deal with that. Other times, people in our lives express displeasure at what God has specifically told us to do. And then what do we do? Because that's a conflict for us. And even if those naysayers or the people who express displeasure don't have power over us, sometimes we can give them that right to tell us what to do. And acquiesce in a way that goes against God's will. Every day we choose whether or not we live in obedience to God's call, God's will for us. Or whether or not we will listen to what other people say to us. Remember the scriptures tell us that these council leaders are jealous. Most probably because the people were responding to God's work through Peter and John and the other apostles. The apostles don't necessarily know what's going on with the leaders. They don't know that, the, that they're jealous, but it doesn't really matter. Because they have to decide whom they're going to obey. 
have to decide if they're going to go contrary to what God has told them to do. We can be silenced when someone tells us they don't want to talk about religion. We can be silenced at our places at work and at school. There are times to obey the laws of the land, but there are also times when God is clear he wants us to speak up and tell others about the new hope and the new life, no matter what the cost is. And in those moments, we have to obey God and not the other people who believe they have power over us. There's a time to be silent and a time to speak. There's a time for civil disobedience and respectfully saying no. I think that the key to understanding when those times are is our own motivation and our own for our own actions and discerning what the Holy Spirit wants. Because we have to prayerfully assess most days who, whom are we pleasing. Today when I go out to work, today when I go out to school, today when I'm with my family or my friends, who is it that I am trying to please? Are our choices giving God glory or are we going to please someone else and what they want in opposition to what God wants? In this case, the apostles understood what God wanted and they acted in ways to please him. I understand in real life. It is rarely this clear, and most of us don't have angels coming and telling us what to do. But we can pray for God's direction, and he will give it. And we can pray for our own motivation to see if we are trying to please others, or to even make ourselves look good in their eyes. The Christian life is about pleasing God first, and Peter's words ring in our ears. We must Please God and not any human authority. This is the call for all of us who call ourselves Christian. Secondly, obeying God makes us strong. Oh, sorry about that. Obeying God makes us strong in the face of opposition. These guys are not afraid. Does anyone else notice that? Earlier in the story, we know that they're terrified. They're hiding behind locked doors. Jesus himself comes through a locked door because they're all freaked out. Now, they're boldly going and proclaiming the name of Jesus to everyone who hears. And they know it's going to get them into trouble. Not only are the apostles defying direct orders, they're doing it in a place where this council has the most power, the temple. Fear is a tool of the enemy, propagated by those who are afraid. The leaders are afraid that they're going to lose a voice among the people. They're afraid that they are no longer going to be seen as the authorities anymore. Acting out of fear is a very dangerous ground for us to stand on. Fear begets more fear. You see, they've already gotten rid of the ringleader, and here come more of his followers. Right after this passage that we read, a wise leader in the council tells them, if this movement is not from God, it's going to dissipate. You don't have to do anything about it. But if this movement is from God, you don't want to go against him. In these kinds of moments in our lives, when we stand up to any power trying to control us, we can be assured in that place that nothing makes the Lord of the universe afraid. Sometimes I forget that. Sometimes when I'm afraid, I assume that God is feeling the same way I am. Going along with me. When it's really the other way around. 
that he is not afraid and I need to be standing there. Because when we stand in obedience to God, we have the covering of the one who stands with us. In this way, then, we don't have to defend ourselves and we're not going rogue. We are acting in obedience to the one who wants to use us for his glory. In any situation where you feel afraid in your life to do what is right, and the Lord is asking you specifically to do something, I would encourage you to think about what it is that you're afraid of. And to name that fear and to pray about it and to seek wise counsel about it and to talk about it. The psalmist reminds us where our help comes from. In 121, it says, He will not let your foot slip or stumble. He who watches over his children never sleeps nor does he slumber. He will keep your life from harm and watch over your life. These promises are true for those who are obedient. So let us give him our fear and move forward with boldness. Thirdly, obeying God <clears throat> leads us to proclaim Jesus. I think it's interesting here that the interrogators do not mention Jesus by name. They say, we told you not to teach in this name. You are intent on bringing this man's blood on us. Wow. Let's just stop and think about that for a minute. Because I think that a few curious things are happening. One is they refuse to speak Jesus' name aloud. It is as if by distancing themselves, they don't bear any responsibility for what happened to him. And for certain, they don't want to give his name any more power. The other thing is they're defensive about the crucifixion without even being accused by the disciples. That, my friends, is the Holy Spirit. They do feel convicted. They do feel guilty. And they are expressing that guilt. Notice what Peter says here. He does acknowledge the part that the Jewish leaders had in crucifying Jesus. But that is not why he is preaching in the temple courts. Hear what he has to say. The God of our ancestors raised up Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior, that he might give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. Preach, Peter, preach. Peter is telling them they are witnesses of what God has done through sending his son. They are being led by the Holy Spirit, who is helping them and guiding them and infusing them and growing them because they are being obedient to God. This is a huge truth for all of us. Just as the disciples could not ignore the overwhelming experience of knowing Jesus because they were called and forgiven and empowered by his name, nor can we. We told you not to preach in this name. Really? How could we not preach in this name? Jesus has changed our very existence. He's given us identity and hope and forgiveness and a place in his family forever. Jesus is our king. We have to obey him. Peter is speaking a very important truth here. 
Because once we decide to orient our life around the person of Jesus, it changes everything. Encountering Jesus makes our life so different and changes us in such a way that we must proclaim him. If we are not proclaiming him, if we are being silent, if he's not the guiding compass of our lives, then we have to think about that. Because who is? What is? If it's not Jesus, then there is confusion for us. There's lack of vision. Because obeying the Father naturally leads to us proclaiming Jesus. As I was preparing this sermon, I had to laugh because I had a conversation with my sister Mo. She proclaims Jesus pretty much wherever she goes. He is her Lord and she is an unabashed witness of all that he is in every situation. This week she was vacationing in Portland and she met some people at a hotel. They remarked on her joy and she said, oh, that comes from knowing Jesus. They were a bit stunned and remarked how far they were from that reality. I think one of them said, I'm an atheist and oh yes, I'm a Wiccan. And uh, I think they were probably surprised because the ease with which she said it. But for her, knowing Jesus is like breathing. It's natural and it's necessary to her life. And so she said, well, let me tell you my testimony of knowing Jesus. And she did. And she said, can I pray for you? And they said, yes. No one's ever actually said no to me when I've asked them if I could pray for them. Just FYI. (laughs) Then on the plane coming home, her seatmate said, Wow, how did you make it through cancer? And she said, Jesus, let me tell you the story. Jesus' story was repeated. And I was telling Mark, she inspires me to be more forthcoming about my own faith, and I'm a pastor. Just think about that. (laughs) Now, how has being obedient to the Lord made you want to proclaim the truth about Jesus in your life? Do you see the correlation between obedience and being a witness? This is the main call in our lives as Christians, to use words, to be loving, to be a model of a changed life, to be holy, to serve with gladness, to be humble and joyful in all circumstances. All of those things are being a witness and proclaiming Jesus in your life. Lastly, obeying God leads to more opportunity to be obedient. A stronger tie with God makes us more inclined to hear him. This is a normal principle of life. The more we do something, the more we have opportunity to do it. You see this in the lives of the disciples. And the more they were obedient, the more the church was multiplied. Because their obedience made the spirit ever present in their lives wherever they went. When we are not obedient, we will not grow. Let me say that again. When we are not obedient, we will not grow. We'll stagnate. We'll hit walls. We'll wonder where God is. We might become bitter and angry. That is true in the larger body as well. If a local church is not obedient to Christ, if they do not proclaim him, the spirit cannot move freely among them and through them, and the church will not grow. In order for us to continue doing the work of God in our community, we have to listen to his leading and be obedient. We have to submit to his leadership. We have to obey him and not allow people to tell us that we cannot do things. We have to do what the Lord has asked us to do. 
Had the followers of Jesus stopped their work because the council leaders told them that they had to, the church would have ceased to exist. Period. So let's not allow that to happen to us. Communion is a natural time for us to examine our hearts. And so today I encourage you to think about your own obedience right now before God. Are you daily seeking him, asking for his help, and seeing where he is leading you? Where is it that he has you in your life right now, proclaiming him and serving him? Are you engaged in a sin which takes you out of his presence and out of a way that you can hear him? When we actively disobey, when we are in sin, we cannot um, listen and we don't have his best for us. This is a place of confession. This is a place of healing. Obedience means pleasing God first. It makes us strong to stand up to opposition. Being obedient leads us to proclaim Jesus and leads us into deeper relationship with Christ. And the church is multiplied then in eternal ways for his kingdom. So this morning, before him, let's be honest about how well we are following God. And may we choose his righteousness to pervade our lives. Let us read the ritual together.